We made this. Welcome to Life's Milestones, the podcast here on the We Made This Podcast Network about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals. My name's Mark Adams and I am a humanist celebrant. That means I am accredited and insured by Humanists UK to be able to write and deliver non-religious ceremonies for anyone and everyone. First up, I want to apologise for yet another delay in an episode dropping. This time, it was an unforeseen circumstance that I've now dealt with, and we are back in business. This one didn't involve me being a massive clumsy idiot like the last time, but everything's sorted now, so hopefully that won't happen again. But who knows? This is what life throws at you, and, you know, I don't think I'd have it any other way. Life is... Like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Oh dear me, quoting Forrest Gump. (laughs) I don't know if that amused anyone else, but it amused me. Anyway, my guest this time is Matt Lubbers Moore, who is part of the team of the publishers Requeered Tales. They publish LGBT books over in America. And this is the last one of the guests that I recruited through the Queer Podcasting Alliance on Facebook. I've had such a lovely time with these different guests from around the world, LGBT people, telling me their life's milestones. And I'm so glad that I did what I did. And I think maybe six or eight, nine, 12 months time, I'll do something similar. I just feel it's important to tell queer stories because these are the stories that you don't hear as often and these are the stories that do mean a lot to me because I'm gay too and Matt was a great host he did have a cold and I have edited out quite a lot of his sniffles but some do still stay in there I did my best Matt and I hope that uh, the edit's okay for you so I'm going to pass you over to my interview with Matt after this do you like music do you like podcasts do you like your hosts that are slightly eloquent with their words and well spoken and articulate them in a perfect way then you can find two out of those three things on Pick a Disc I'm your host Matt Latham and each fortnight a guest comes onto the podcast to talk about an album that they want to talk about for whatever reason they want to we talk about the artists we talk about the songs and we also talk about the album and we never talk about the artwork because I always forget other than that we always talk about the good things and why people like what they like and you'll find that a lot in Pick a Disc so find us on all your favourite podcatchers of choice and I look forward to finding out the discs that you're picking. With me at this time is Matt Lubbers-Moore. Hello, Matt. Hello, thanks for having me. 
Thank you for being a guest and welcome to Life's Milestones. Before we get into the heavy stuff, we do a quick guest profile. So, start up. How old are you? I'm sorry, I'm 37. So, where are you from and what's your background? I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. My background is uh, I'm essentially uh, a book person. Uh, I collect, I read, I publish, I'm an author, and I'm a librarian. So I'm constantly surrounded by and uh, immersed in books. Amazing. I mean, I used to be a librarian myself, believe it or not. So uh, that's that's a nice little coincidence. <laughs> so um, I've had a quick look at your website when you sent it to me. You are one of the people behind Requeered Tales. And tell me about that. Tell me all the interesting stuff about being a publisher of LGBT books. Well, you know, it's funny. We kind of fell into it by mistake. Well, more of as a, as a joke. Uh, we are all members of a Facebook mystery, uh, gay mystery suspense thriller group. And we were talking about how a lot of the mysteries that we like are um, out of print. And wouldn't it be great if some publisher came along and republished them all? And, you know, we started like talking about like, who would we get and how would we get them? And, and I said, well, you know, I said, I'm a librarian and, you know, and I'm quite immersed in this world. And, and another guy was uh, my partner in Toronto. He, he's a former executive in marketing. And so he's like, well, I'm a marketing exec and I know, you know, how to market and blah, blah. And then the other person, Justine, out in California is like, well, I'm a lawyer, so I can draw up contracts and, and do all that kind of fun legal stuff. And and we're like, are we actually going to do this? And um, <laughs> love it. So we started just looking up the authors that we talked about and start contacting them. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of our uh, authors have deceased, uh, mainly uh, from AIDS. And so we're, you know, contacting the the families of the authors who are just excited and very overjoyed that their relatives' books are going to be put back into print, you know, for a new generation. So it's it's been really great and a wonderful experience. That's such a wonderful story about how the internet can suddenly <laughs> snowball something between people that simply wouldn't have met. And yeah. that's fantastic. I actually had... A guest on a couple of episodes ago, Brad Shreve, who um, is a writer of queer fiction. I think, if I remember rightly, you've been on his podcast as well? Yeah, I've been on there a couple of times. And Justine is the one who does the recommendations on his show. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Brilliant. Uh, Brad, Brad's a good friend of mine. And, of course, he's a very good friend of Requeer Tales. So That's amazing stuff. And um, both of you contacted me through, again, through something on Facebook, a group on Facebook for people who are gay or LGBT who podcast and the response on that I was so pleased with because I think I wanted to expand out of Britain out of my comfort zone and my friendship groups and it's been a wonderful experience for me and I was a little bit maybe just a little bit trepidatious when <laughs> I started doing it yeah that makes sense but yeah I, I'm so impressed with how you're company came to be give us some book recommendations what's your favorite that you've managed to publish oh goodness my favorite um well the grant michael mysteries are really good he was you know um up to the uh 1970 was the really the first gay mystery from a mainstream publisher which was a uh, joseph hansen's fade out and then after 
that, you know, there was a whole slew of uh, gay authors publishing with mainstream publishers, but um, they were all like these really hard-boiled detectives who were essentially straight-acting, macho guys. You know, they were mainstream publishers were afraid that if they published a book with a more effeminate character that it wouldn't go very well. Right. And um, Grant Michaels was the first, uh, it was like in the mid eighties when he published his uh, Stan uh, Krejcik series. And his main character was a, a uh, oh goodness, a stylist. Uh, 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 I can't even think of the, uh, he cut hair, you know. Um, right. You know, and it was just kind of like, you know, he, he wasn't effeminate or anything, but it was like, you know, it was a very stereotypical gay job. And, you know, it was, he was the first. And of course, now there's tons of gay mysteries with gay hairstylists and, you know, (laughs) you know, he was the first and they're, they're wonderful books. You know, he kind of goes through, you know, quite a bit and we're really excited about it too, because he published six in his lifetime. And then he wrote a seventh book, which was never published because uh, he died before it was published and the publisher just dropped the series. And, we actually found a copy in the archives in Boston, uh, more internet magic of me contacting the Boston archives where he had donated his papers. And um, I'm so sorry, I have a, a brief cold, so I'm going to be sniffling through this whole thing. I swear <laughs> it's not cocaine. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean, is the publishing industry that kind of high flying and into that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Who knew, you know? (laughs) So he wrote a seventh book, but it was never published. So we got the archives to make a photocopy of it for us. They emailed it to me. Um, We edit it and we're going to be publishing it for the very first time, uh, I I think next year. And we're super excited because no one, except for a very small group of people, have ever seen this manuscript before. So it's really thrilling for us to be able to bring it back out or to actually bring it out. Um, and then my other favorite book series is um, uh, from your neck of the woods, but a little more north, Jack Dixon, who wrote uh, a Glasgow series in Scotland. Uh, so I just absolutely love the Jass Anderson books, which are a little more gritty and more uh, a little more sexual than the other books that we've published. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to move on to the section about birth. And um, the first question is, where and when and how were you born? I was born uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have not moved very far. 1982, uh, so uh, makes me 37 or 38. I can't really remember my age. Um, (laughs) And then I was born from a cesarean. Right. Was it a planned cesarean or was it something that happened at the time? No, it was planned. My bro, I'm I'm a middle child, and my mom had cesareans for all of her children. Yeah, yeah, that's particularly people around our age. I think at the time you didn't have the option other than a cesarean if your mum had previously had a cesarean. Do you think that was the case with her? You know, I think they just said, "Here's the date, and here's when you're going to have the baby." So I think it was just unless it came, unless I came early, but you know. Uh, they just planned out the date, and that's the day I was born. So, <laughs> that's quite convenient because not 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 that many mums get that option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, tell me your favorite story about your childhood. You know, I don't really have. You know, 
as I mentioned earlier, I've always been kind of immersed in books. My mother was the um, president of the local library friends group. So every, I think every spring and fall, they would have a huge book sale at the local library. And so starting from when I was eight years old, I was running up and down the basement stairs of the library, hauling books up to the uh, main floor for the book sale. And I always loved it because they would always let me have whatever I wanted, whatever book I wanted. I <laughs> so, you know, by the time I'd leave, I had like three or four boxes worth of books to bring home. My room was full of bookshelves and I had a literal library in my childhood uh, bedroom. Is that something that you've continued as you've got older? Oh, yeah. I have thousands of books in my house. And then I've constantly worked with the uh, lo local libraries with their book sales. And I've done flea markets and I've even worked with one library putting their books on eBay, you know, to try and make them even more money. So, yeah, I've consistently worked, worked with and around libraries most of my life. Amazing. I loved my time in a library. I was never perhaps quite as motivated to take it the next step as you did but yeah I've always been very fond of my time in libraries because books were also a huge part of my childhood too and I remember that just the the weekly trip to the library was the highlight of my week <laughs> yeah my um my my middle school days my, a friend of mine and I would always walk to the library every day after school and we would just stay there until our parents came and picked us up so yeah, libraries have always been uh, central to me, which is weird because I didn't go back to, I didn't think about actually working in a library until I was in my late 20s. I mean, what did, what did you do before that then? I worked in a lot of retail establishments, a lot of grocery stores and things like that. And I thought I would stay in business and just keep in business. And then uh, the 2008 recession hit and I and uh, jobs were scarce. And I thought I should probably go back to school and get a degree in something. And I was going to stay in business and then um, and then I found uh, business incredibly tedious and boring and <laughs> decided that I wanted to go teach. So I went for uh, a history degree and then the school that I went to had a dual master's program in library science. And I thought, well, I'll get two master's degrees, one in history and one in library science. And so that's what I did. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> so do you have children yourself? I do not have children. No, my um, my husband and I didn't meet until I was 28. Um, he was 30 at the time. He's on the autism spectrum. Uh, he has uh, Asperger's. Right. And from everything he's read and uh, everything he f knows about himself, he doesn't feel capable of, of uh, taking care of a child the way they should be taken care of. Well, that's fair enough. And he's adopted, so it's just kind of like, he doesn't want to put another child through what he went through as a child. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. So for people like you and me, it's a very much a conscious choice to have children. We can't have a, a happy mistake, you know? <laughs> so it's not like I can even ask you the theoretical questions because you've clearly made a decision that's important for you and your partner. And, that's what I wanted when I reached out to LGBT people is to tell different stories. And for us, this one, this one's an absolute, whereas for straight couples, not necessarily so. Yeah, I, it's funny because I dated a guy who was much older than myself before I met my current husband. And I didn't know how much older he was than I was. 
to me, I'm like, age is just a number. But right. uh, he had been married before and he had had children before. And we're kind of getting to that point where he was starting to want to introduce me to them. And I was always kind of hesitant because, you know, I, I like children, but I'm not really good with children. And um, so I just asked him one day, I said, so how old are your children? And um, his two daughters were older than me. Right. And uh, I'm like, oh, uh, wow. And um, that was pretty much the end of the relationship because I'm like, if it works out between us, I'm going to be this like, you know, evil stepmother, you know, who, you know <laughs> who's younger than his stepchildren. And it's just like, no, that's not going to happen. And then I started thinking too about my future. And I'm like, man, if I want kids, you know, cause I don't know where I'm at yet in life and, and realize, uh, you know, he's not going to want children with me. And so I, you know, I had to really consciously decide whether I wanted to stay in that relationship or not, you know? So, and it was just kind of like, no, I couldn't see myself doing that. Yeah. I mean, I've been in relationships where I've been older, I've been in relationships where I've been younger and you don't really think about it because you like this person until something like that happens, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on to the conversation about weddings and the first question, which I actually already know the answer to because you mentioned it before, but are you married? I am married, yes. So tell me about your wedding day. Well, um, as I mentioned, my husband has Asperger's and so therefore everything has to be scheduled and he does not like change. So I had to gradually get him used to the idea of wanting to get married. So... We watched a lot of gay wedding proposals on YouTube. I made him look through rings and, you know, just as kind of like, hey, let's just look at wedding rings and see which one you like and which ones I like. Just as a way to get him used to the idea. And um, so then we took a trip down New Orleans on uh, Christmas break. So the day after Christmas, we left. uh, My husband loves trains and we travel all by train. So we took a train down New Orleans. The night we got down there, we had a really nice dinner. And then back in our hotel room, we had a little balcony. And so when we were out there, I proposed. Amazing. Yeah. And it was really nice. It was really romantic, really sweet. Um, And then, of course, we went right on Facebook, you know, to share. And then we went to bed. Very boring, gay agenda type stuff. And um, so then the engagement, because... I preferred to get married on Friday or Saturday and we wanted to get married on our, on our anniversary. uh, So that way we didn't have like two anniversaries and things like that. So that's lovely. I like that idea. Yeah. So we had to figure out what day our anniversary fell on a Friday or a Saturday. And my husband, like I said, doesn't like change. So he didn't want to get married right away. You know, he wanted to wait. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, Next year, it's a Saturday. I said, if we don't get married in 2018, we're going to have to wait like another five years before our anniversary falls on a Friday or a Saturday again. Right. (laughs) Kind of got him kind of like thinking about that and uh, used to the idea of, oh, in a year, we're going to get married. And 
And so that's what we did. So um, on November 10th, 2018, uh, we had just a really small wedding. My husband doesn't like to spend money frugally. I am the one that um, is uh, not frugal. (laughs) Um, So we had the wedding the way he wanted, which was very nice. You know, it's just uh, our really close friends and family in a small hall. My My mom and stepdad catered the wedding. So it was really nice. Um, a friend of mine was our uh, officiant. I'm not religious at all. So uh, I had my brother who um, is a minister. I just had him do a quick, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Uh, from Jesus, because I did have family that's super religious and decided not to come to the wedding. Right. So uh, I just wanted him to do like the, the Sermon on the Mount because it's the most liberal of Jesus's things. And, uh, but it was before I even came out, it was right before the wedding. And so it wasn't really part of the wedding, but it was there for if people wanted that little bit of religious uh, aspect to it, but it was really nice. Um, the wedding itself only took about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance. So it was really nice. It was uh, really sweet to be surrounded by friends and family. So. I think what you did there with the inclusivity of religion is something that I feel very strongly about. I am obviously explicitly atheist because I identify as humanist. But um, whenever people want a religious element in one of my ceremonies, my, my response is always, of course, you can have that, but it would be wrong for me to deliver it. But obviously, I'll introduce someone to do that. And I think you did that organically in a really nice way that included people. So really good stuff, I think, there. To be honest, it was more out of spite. <laughs> After I just said all those nice things. Yeah, I know. I'm really sorry. It was a completely <laughs> spiteful, in your face. Uh, I'm going to have my brother, who is a minister, deliver the most. And my brother is a very conservative person. I'm going to have him deliver the most liberal. I wrote the the sermon, the little prayer. And I cut and edited and pasted the most liberal sayings from the Mount of the Sermon on the Mount, because I wanted anyone who was in that room who uh, may have any feelings that it was wrong or sinful that two gay men were getting married to kind of have to have to eat crow. So it was. Um, so I'm a very I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a Richard Dawkins atheist. Wow. I <laughs> like I feel bad for saying this, but I am a very spiteful person. So um, I made sure that it was like the most liberal. And then, of course, you know, I wasn't in the room when it was said. So I was OK with that. But, you know, it sounds good when I tell people, oh, yeah, I made sure that I involved a little bit of religion <laughs> for, you know, those who wanted it. I think you're probably doing yourself and your family a disservice there. <laughs> the fact that you did that, despite the fact it was a bit tongue in cheek and the fact that they turned up, you can't be that Richard Dawkinsy any more than they can be that conservative. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just talking to my mom the other day and I found out that my brother still prays for me because he's still hoping that I'm going to find God one of these days. And I figure as soon as the science community finds God, then I will too. I think that obviously comes from a place of love. As much as you or I might feel like he's probably wasting his time, I think it's still kind of nice and, you know, you're still in touch. Some families don't have that. Yeah, yeah. It, it is nice that we're in touch. Uh, the The gay issue was a, uh, was a concern for a long time and the atheist issue was a concern for a long time. And now it's just two things that we don't really talk about. <laughs> 
that seems to be the right way to deal with it. I think I've always felt like with religious people that you should celebrate your similarities, your similar values, rather than highlight any differences. Right. As long as it's not hateful or coming from a you know place of ignorance. Well, yes, obviously, I would never be friends with Fred Phelps, but you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> Although I can't be friends with him anymore. He's dead. Thankfully. <laughs> Don't Google Fred Phelps if you're listening. He's a wanker. <laughs> so do you have any funny stories about your wedding related to it? Well, you know, my, um, my husband and I had a long discussion about the cake. Not about what it should look like or what it should taste like or anything like that. Our longest discussion about the wedding involved whether or not we were going to be polite about feeding each other the cake. Right. We apparently came to different conclusions from that conversation. I was under the conclusion that we had agreed that we are going to feed each other nicely. Give each other a little sample of the cake. Ooh and ah, gave a little kiss, and that was it. My husband, right. on the other hand, had felt that we had come to the agreement that we were going to smash the cake in each other's face, and it was going to be hilarious. <laughs> so as we're about to, you know, we're cutting the cake, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so nice, you know, and, and I look at my husband, and he's got this look on his face, and I, you know, we've been together, uh, we were together eight years on our wedding day. So mm. I knew him fairly well. And I <laughs> and so I saw the look in his eyes and his family kind of starting to egg him on. And uh, I'm like, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> so I wear glasses and my husband doesn't. So by the time we were done, I had cake smeared all over my glasses. Oh, that's going to take forever. I wear specs too. Yeah, in my hair, up my nose, all over my face. And of course, you know, I mean, once he started, I had a, you know, I couldn't be, you know, the polite one anymore. I just said that. Well, you know, so he got it as good as I got it. And so by the time we were done, there was no sliced piece of cake. I don't even think I tasted the cake at that point. But yeah, so we had completely, (laughs) we had to go to the bathroom and just scrub this cake off ourselves because it was so so caked in (laughs) pun intended nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) so is that something a lot of american folk do smash each other's faces into the cake yeah not not too often apparently hit all of his family does and all my family doesn't and so we had kind of had to discuss whether or not we were going to and which family tradition we were going to follow and Well, we didn't follow a lot of his family's traditions. So I guess, well, I guess we followed that tradition. I have never been to a wedding where anyone was anything other than like super awkward, polite, pose with the (laughs) knife, etc. kind of thing with the cake. So I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, I'll I'll send you pictures. It was a a good time because, of course, you know, they took pictures of us as soon as the as soon as we were done. So, yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you're going to waste the cake. At least get good photos. Well, I mean, we didn't waste it all. I mean, we still had, you know, it was just the one slice of cake each. <laughs> oh, right. I thought you'd gone face first into oh, the cake, no. the whole cake. Oh, no, no. It was just a small piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's... We didn't waste the whole cake. But we did have about 
98 cupcake. So, I mean, if we had wafted the cake, we would still have the cupcake. So, I mean, wedding, if you're not eating cake, you're doing it wrong, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what song did you pick for your first dance? Did you ever see the movie A Mighty Wind? No. Okay. So, it's got Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, an amazing cast of characters, and it's a mockumentary about the folk music uh, in the United States. Okay, right. And so it's just got all these comedic actors, you know, who are pretending that they're in a documentary. And Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara's characters uh, in the, from the 60s or 70s had been this amazing romantic couple, and they sang this song called um, A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow. Right. And so it's this really romantic song, and at the very end, they sing, there's a line, and then they stop, and then they kiss, and then they finish the song. Right. So that's what we danced to. Um, and then right when the pause hit, we kissed, and then the song finished. And so it was just, so that's what our first dance was. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. All right, so we're going to move on and to the final section, which is about death. And the first question, I originally thought this was quite tough, but no one seems to struggle with it. Are you scared of death? Um, <laughs> so I'm an atheist, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to die because I know there's, I can't say I know. I'm not 100% sure I know what happens after we die. The scientific evidence leads you to believe. Yeah, that there is nothing. <laughs> your brain shuts off and nothing happens, you know, and you're, you're gone. You know, your brain, your brain shuts off, you're, you're, you're no more. You, you don't think, you can't feel, you are essentially no longer a, a person. Yeah. But that's what I find terrifying is that my brain will eventually turn off. You know, like a computer, you know, the hard drive fails, everything's gone, your memories, everything you know, all of your knowledge is just wiped away and you're an empty vessel again. Yeah. And I don't even mind that so much. I mean, most of us only get like 60, 70 years tops. Yeah. You know, last year I was in the hospital for quite a bit of time. You know, I had really bad uh, pancreatitis last year. I was in and out of the hospital for over two months. Good grief. Yeah, it was not a good time. And I didn't really think anything of it. I mean, I was fine. You know, I knew I was going to live through it. My husband, on the other hand, wasn't so sure. You know, he kept saying, you know, I, I thought I was going to lose you. I thought I was going to lose you. And But what I hate and what I really regret about life is that we experience so little and yet, you know, we're supposed to be okay with that. But, you know, life goes on after you. And I regret that I won't see what becomes of humanity. You know, I, you know, we keep progressing towards a better and better and better future. You know, we're doing Mars expeditions now and it's like, I can't imagine what the world will be like in a hundred years, 200 years, a thousand years. And yeah, I regret that I'm not going to see it, that I'm not going to know what happens. You know, it's like a really good story and you only get to see a 
a, a chapter of it. And that's, yeah. that's what I, I'm not really terrified. Like I said, I'm not scared to die because nothing happens. You just die. Your brain switches off and you're, you no longer exist. But I mostly regret that I will miss out on so much. Mm. I think of all the people I've had on the show so far, you're what? Episode 26. I think you've said probably the closest to how I think as well. And I know I'm supposed to be all kind of humanist values. You live on through the memories of other people. And of course, I say things like that in my ceremonies. But you have hit it on the head that with the way I believe things will happen to my body, there is no soul. Yeah, I am going to miss out on so much stuff. Yeah. Well, and then also, and I, and I have a tendency to be pretty blunt uh, at times with people. A friend of mine... Um, you know, she's very really, I mean, this was over a decade ago and I haven't spoken to her much, uh, at all in a long time. Uh, she got married to someone super religious who didn't like gay people. And so therefore she stopped talking to me. Um, so it wasn't right. because I was blunt. It was just that, you know, she married someone who didn't like me. So anyways, a friend of hers had committed suicide and, you know, she, she was very religious and she said, well, you know, at least they'll live on, you know, in our memories and, you know, they, she, you know, my friend went to heaven and I'm not going to shit on that. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, Oh, if you, no. there is no heaven. She did. You know, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that mean, but a, a few weeks later, maybe a month or two later, we were talking about death again and not about the girl, about her friend to me as soon as I, but just about death. And I said, you know, I said, what's really depressing is I said, if you don't have children, Essentially, you have about 100 years of memory on the planet. And then you're done. Yeah. You're done. Nobody remembers you. You know, like my nieces and nephews will know who I was. Their children yeah. might know who I am, but they won't really know who I was. So you got like a generation and then you're done. You know, even if someone, you know, 100 years from now does a, um, a family tree. You know, and they come back and they go, oh, well, my great, great grandmother who had two brothers, uh, one had children. The other one uh, got married to a man and didn't have any children. And that's right. just going to go on like a little family tree chart. And that's it. I mean, I'll just be a name. I won't be a memory. I won't be anything. You know, at least they can say, oh, my great, great grandmother. That's who they're going to have an interest in. You know, so I think, you know, the you know, not only is death unkind uh because we won't know what happens after and we'll miss out but also you know people's memories of us won't last very long you know my nieces and nephews will remember me that's about it once they're gone it was be as if i never existed i can get that and i have thought along those lines a lot myself but also i think if you make any real progression towards making a difference to something you feel is wrong your contribution will live on forever. You protest at a Trump thing. You protest at anything to do with something that's a, a social injustice. When progression is made, part of you lives on in that legacy, surely. Well, and the nice thing is, I'm um, I'm building up a uh, gay comic book collection for my local for my the university where I work at. Very cool. So it'll show up as donated by Matt Lovers more in the year, blah, blah, blah. So at least I'll have that. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly that. Until they, until they decide that, why are we collecting gay comic books? You know, let's just get rid of them. No, no, I, I don't think that will happen. Well, I hope not. <laughs> so are you a massive comic book nerd as well? I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't tangent, but I just love comics and I would love to know more about this gay comic book collection. Could people actually see it online? No. Um... <laughs> no. That's a shame. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Uh, no, um, I um, I don't know if you're familiar with the characters Wiccan and Hulkling. Of course, yeah. Okay, so like they're the first uh, Marvel gay superheroes to get married. Uh, and I make, make sure that I say superheroes because obviously North Star got married first, but his significant, his husband is not a superhero. Yes, that's right. So there's that small line, you know. So I have every single appearance of Wiccan and Hulkling. Amazing. And so eventually one day when I decide to part with them, they're going to be donated. I also have a very large collection of Midnighter and Apollo. I don't know if you know them. No. Okay, so Midnighter and Apollo were Wildstorm comic uh, spinoffs of Superman and Batman. Apollo is Superman. Uh, he's from another planet. He has super flight, uh, super strength, and he's a hundred percent pure. He doesn't he doesn't do anything wrong. He's a super super nice guy. Yeah, Midnighter is Batman, but much much darker. He has no qualms about killing. Right. He has a super computer chip in his brain that helps him know what's when something's going to happen and so he can adjust mid-battle to take into account what's happening right so anyway so they're they're a gay couple um and they've been together since i think the 80s or even or early 90s i can't remember their first appearance but um so they've been they've been together for decades um they're actually the first superhero couple to get married in comics right they adopted a child together and they're super wonderful. And Steve Orlando, I don't know if you know him. He's a comic book uh, writer. But he did yeah. he did a Midnighter and Apollo uh, series not too long ago when Midnighter and Apollo were bought out by DC. Uh, it's really great, too, because there's a Grayson comic book, which is Dick Grayson. And Midnighter, uh, Midnighter shows up in that from time to time. And the first right. time he does, Nightwing is doing something. And Midnighter goes, hey, Dick. And Dick turns around and he goes, how do you know it's me? And Midnighter says, I would recognize that ass anywhere. <laughs> and so it's just, I just, you know, so he's this really great, uh, they're a really great couple. But anyway, so I have a large collection of them. And then I've also been like hitting up the uh, series Saga because there's a gay couple in Saga. But I have, oh, goodness. Um, I think I have just over a thousand gay uh gay couple gay people in comic books at this point um i i'm trying to build up a little bit more before i donate them um and of course the uh, archives aren't open right now due to covid so right um but i mean my ultimate collection comic book wise is not is not gay oriented um my largest gay collection is i have a huge devote I, i'm completely devoted to dr doom <laughs> So not only must I collect Dr. Doom appearances, I also have to collect uh, any comic book that references Latveria, the country he rules, 
uh, do not. <laughs> um, Dread Knight, which is a Black Knight spinoff that Doctor Doom created. Um, yep. Any of the people that ruled Latveria before or after him. Oh, goodness, there's more. Um, oh, and then there is a Doc Savage character that Stan Lee once said he based Doctor Doom off of. So I, collect, so I had to collect all of the, that guy's appearances. So when I finally accumulated like a list of the appearances, there were over 3,000 appearances. Amazing. Um, I have all but 388 now. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Doom. He's cool, but my goodness. Yeah, I know. It's a little bit of extreme, but I, I'm one of those people who I can't stop like... I have to have a complete collection. But then once I have the compl- collection, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> right. Okay. Like I, I've reached the end. And so what am I going to do with them? I might as well just get rid of them then. So that's what I was doing with the gay collection was I was just getting them to collect them. And then I thought, well, what should I do with them now? You know, I don't want to sell them because I'm not going to get back what I got, what I put into it. So no. what should I do with them? So I uh, thought, well, I'll just find some place to donate them to. And I work at a university and I contacted the person who runs the archives. And I said, would you be interested in this at all? And, you know, I, I was expecting like, a, eh, not really. We're not really looking for comic books or something, something like that. And they're like, oh, we would love it. I'm like, crap. Now I actually like have to give them to them. <laughs> so is that in your will, is it, that they'll get the comics when you die? No, you would think I'd have a will. I don't. Um, <laughs> I work in the industry and I don't. So, you know, I can't judge you. <laughs> well, I told, I told my husband, I said, if I die, just sell everything. Like, he has no sentimental attachments to anything. So mm. I'm like, just sell it. You know, I'm dead. What do I care? <laughs> That's true. You know, I, I don't care what you do with it after I die. If I die before I donate them, well, that's my fault for not donating them while I was alive. So I'm mm. like, literally take them to, uh, I gave them a list. I said, here's the people that I'll take them. Take them to them, get the highest price you can. Find a, you know, cute little boyfriend and spend all the money on them. I don't care what you do. <laughs> all right. Should we actually talk about your funeral do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? I want my body donated to science. Amazing choice. Yeah, I, I, um, it's also the cheapest option because I'm like, it's really funny because I, I was trying to think of like, I mean, I've been thinking about this for years, you know, because, you know, I've been obsessed with the idea of death and what happened, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, well, what would I want with my body? You know, it's weird because all of my grandparents have been cremated. Right. Which is not common in the United States. Uh, I mean, it's becoming no. more common, but not with grandparents. Like usually like they're buried. You go there on the day they died or on their birthday or something and you plant flowers and you clean their grave and you do all this stuff. I mean, my mom yeah. does that, you know, like my mom, my, her, her parents have not, were not buried, um, but she'll go to like friends of hers and like clean up their graveyard, their graves and stuff like that. My mom is very morbid. <laughs> But um, her parents were both Catholics and they both wanted to be cremated. And then my dad's parents, they were the ones that surprised me that they want to be cremated because they're like uh, Christian reformed. Uh, You know, the body is pure. You know what? 
the body you have is what will go to heaven. Yeah, yeah. So they were cremated, which surprised me. Uh, but they were buried. Their their ashes were actually buried in a cemetery, which I'm like, well, doesn't that kind of defeat the whole purpose of being cremated? So you don't take up land. But um, so my mom will probably be cremated, although she refuses. My mom is a very morbid person. She talks about other people's deaths all the time. Like she looks at the obituaries every day. You know, she knows exactly when people died, you know, every year on right. is her parents died or her grandparents died. She's like, oh, my grandma died today. I'm like, that was like 60 years ago. Right. But um, she won't talk about her death. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but she will, she'll probably be cremated. We always argue about who's going to actually have the ashes because none of them want, none of us want them. <laughs> but we'll probably just find a nice place and just dump them. Um. Yeah, scatter them with, like, somewhere she loved or something. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but in Michigan, there's a, a place called Hell. There's a little town called Hell, Michigan. Amazing. Right. And my mom and I my mom and I are very close. And so usually once a month, we spend a day together. We'll go either uh, shopping or we'll go book shopping or we'll just go to – we'll just go for a drive or we'll just do something like that. So one day, my mom's like, I'm going to take you to Hell. I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> and so we went to hell, and there is actually a place there where you can scatter people's remains. I love it. And my mom's like, who would do this? And I'm like, that's where you're going to end up. I am going <laughs> to scatter your remains in hell. How do you like that, mother? <laughs> there is even a little a wedding chapel near, located near the uh, where you can scatter people, where you can get married. And I'm like, oh my God, that's brilliant. People can get married in hell. That is wonderful. <laughs> brilliant. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> but yeah, so um, my husband and I both talked about this. He wants to be cremated. I said, try and find a university that will take my body. If no, if none take it, then, you know, just um, cremate me. I said, I don't really care what you do with the ashes. <laughs> Whatever you yeah. want. If he goes before me, obviously I'll have to, you know, actually come up with all these things on my own and like let somebody know. But yeah. at this point, it's just like whatever my husband wants to do is fine with me. Makes sense. So have you had to think about what reading you might like to be read at your funeral? So like um, memorial services. I didn't think about this. Um, I probably wouldn't have a, a memorial service. You don't think you'd have a ceremony at all? I don't think so. Because I fear that if there is one, it's going to be grotesquely religious. Right. Because all my relatives are religious. And I would hate that. I mean, obviously I'm dead and I don't know what's happening and I won't care. But I'm spiteful. And I don't know if I want a religious memorial service where people then say, oh, he's gone to heaven. Right. Well, I mean, there's there's ways to get around that. I mean... If I pre-write it? Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm trained in, in pre-planning funerals for non-religious people. Right. So there are celebrants or officiants out there that would be actually be able to help you with that if it's something you do think about in future. But it is a classic, unfortunate situation for folk like me that if someone said they would like 
a humanist funeral, but then the family say, we want a religious funeral, a funeral director is more likely to go with the family's wishes. It's actually quite an unfortunate gray area. Yeah, the dead people, the dead person's dead. So, yeah. And they're, they're not the one paying the bill. No, but again, that's not actually the case with um, a pre-planned funeral I'm working on at the moment. I've got a chap who I'm writing his funeral with him, and he's put all the money in to like, help his family out. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. But yeah, my, like my, grand, my, my grandma didn't have a memorial service. And how did you feel about that? I mean, we just got, I mean, we just got together as a family. I mean, my mom only had one brother. And so the family just got together with the minister and just talked. That was it. My sister didn't go because my sister was too young. So it was almost like an informal wake, perhaps. Possibly, yeah. So to me, it was just kind of like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, now that you bring it up, I probably would have to have a memorial service. But I wouldn't want one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's possibly more about what your family want, if that's the case, then. Yeah, probably. And my husband will be talked into it if he's still living past me. Is your husband atheist as well? Would he help with that, do you think? My husband, we don't talk about religion very often. He is more of a believer than I am in the afterlife and things like that. So right. he probably would have a, a religious uh, ceremony uh, if mm. I die. And if he died, I would probably be forced to do a religious ceremony on his family's behalf. Mm. It's always a really difficult decision because as important as you know, your atheism is to you, my atheism is to me. You've also got people who their religious beliefs are as important to them. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point and there is no easy answer. And sometimes I think an in inclusive ceremony that is almost secular and has the non-religious elements but brings in a religious element is probably the best, if not, a slightly crude solution, maybe. Right. So you've not actually thought about the music you'd have at this funeral that you're probably not going to have then? No, I haven't really thought about uh, a service. <laughs> really, I think I die. My husband calls a university. The university sends something to come, or a, a funeral home comes, picks me up, and then delivers me to the university. Like, I don't think about anything after I'm dead. Um, once I'm dead, nothing matters. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And, I mean... I'm pretty sure it would be the same in the States, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm British. In Britain, you don't legally have to have a funeral. You just have to have the body disposed of in a yeah. legal way. So it's no. nothing. Most people want one, but I think we may end up, as you and I, you know, head towards our 70s, that there may be more people who think like you, and that's fine with me. But, you know, I'm, I'm here if people do want a funeral. <laughs> right, yeah. So Matt, it's been lovely chatting with you. I particularly enjoy talking with people from another country because they always bring in something that I haven't thought about or something that's different to how it is in Britain. So I'm really grateful for you coming on the show. 
where can people find you on the internet? Tell me where they can find your publishing company, et cetera, like that. Well, they can find my publishing company at requeertales.com. That's R-E-Q-U-E-E-R-E-D-T-A-L-E-S.com. We have a Facebook, a, uh, uh, we're all over the interweb. Uh, we have um, Facebook, what is it? Twitter. Sorry, I don't know why I couldn't think of Twitter. Uh, Twitter and Instagram <laughs> pages. You can email us at requeertales at gmail.com. I did write a book called Murder and Mayhem, an annotated bibliography of gay and queer males in mystery from 1909 to 2018. Cool. So you can check that out at a local bookstore or on Amazon, as much as I hate Amazon. Probably easier for British listeners on Amazon, unfortunately. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm part of the, um, the, I'm one of the moderators of the Facebook gay mystery thrillers suspense Facebook group, uh, where we talk about um, LGBTQ mysteries. I think that's all my places you can find me. Brilliant stuff. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your life's milestones. Yeah, thank you for uh, reaching out and uh, offering this opportunity. I'd just like to say one more thank you to Matt for joining me as my guest on this episode of Life's Milestones. Also, a quick thanks to Brad Shreve, a previous guest who knows Matt and convinced him to be on the podcast when he wasn't sure that he was going to come on. This episode was recorded about a month ago, but I record the intros and outros a couple of days beforehand which is why this episode was delayed. So, again, I want to apologise for that. And um, hopefully (laughs) it won't be happening again. As the UK comes out of lockdown, don't forget about me. If you are getting married, if you have had a baby during lockdown, get in touch. I'm here for you for your naming ceremonies and your weddings as well as the funerals that I've been doing during lockdown. Get in touch, and don't forget your Life's Milestones discount. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you in a fortnight. Life's Milestones is a podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. The show's host is me, Mark Adams. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook, just search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. My website is humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. Regular listeners to Life's Milestones can claim a 10% discount on a naming ceremony or a wedding by quoting milestones when you get in touch. The show's theme tune was written and performed by Colin Jackson Brown and the logo created by Carl Bryan. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Life's Milestones. Hello everyone, this is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you just listened to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights, and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. 
And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash we made this. And get the ball rolling. Elsewhere on We Made This. Frame to frame. I'm going to wind you up and go now. Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Oh my god, give me that Oscar right now. Put some grits on a, grits on a breakfast plate and go and have barbecue because it's absolutely amazing. Like, li- li- literally <laughs> like that all the way through it. Like, it's just, just crackers. Didn't she win the Razzie as well? I think, oh my god, I got a Razzie, I got a Razzie, go with my Oscar nomination. That's what we got down here in Alabama. Like that. <laughs> My days. My days. Pick a disc. One of my favourite Blink, I think perhaps one of my favourite Tom DeLonge like, verses is the second verse. Because it's the bit where okay. like, where I think the kind of like adds an extra layer I think of since throughout the back is where he goes, where are you now? Are you footsteps? Yeah, yeah. And there's just yeah. a bit in the music which, and, 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 and so for someone who doesn't take notice of of music and stuff it's like it's a big thing yeah. when I notice that it's just like this extra cool. layer that kicks in the extra layer of something I've never been able to pinpoint what it is that kicks in just as it, just as the where are you now bit appears oh, okay. right in the childhood the term benders that are was affectionately used on more than one occasion. So Doc and Rock always gave us a giggle. Referred to the viewers as his benders. And at no point do I think that this was a Not dig at gay people or do I think that it was deliberately supposed to be controversial yeah. using a hate term. But I don't feel like they would do it now. No. It was so <laughs> funny. And obviously it's like around the it's like it's these kind of shows, you know, you have fan names for them, and Benders is a good one to have, but it was just... We laughed every time. We, we did. We can't deny it. Every time Doc Croc said Benders, we looked at each other and right. grinned, and I'm like, I'm 42 and you're 24, and we're laughing at the word Benders. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>